I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets, sports, and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's episode follows Week 2's loss to the Cleveland Browns at home on Monday Night Football 3-23. And the first half of this game was almost unwatchable. The second half had some redeeming moments, but still... This game, in a nutshell, was an absolute embarrassment. Jets played terrible on Monday Night Football. We knew it going in. Some breaking news. I recorded last week's episode in there. I thought there was a ton of breaking news. There was Nathan Shepard getting suspended. There was Demarius Thomas added to the team. The New York Jets added Sam Ficken as a kicker. And I was like, okay, I got all these big new little uh, little nuggets for the podcast. Next day, find out that Sam Darnold has mononucleosis, which at this point is old news. We know that Sam Darnold's going to miss at least a couple of games maybe up to five games or so, and right in the thick of the the tough part of the schedule, which maybe is a blessing or a curse, not sure. It'll be tough to pick up any of these games, but we're losing Sam Darnold for an extended period of time. we got to consider life without him. Now, Sam Darnold has said he's starting to feel a little bit better. He was actually at the training facility of the New York Jets today, which is a good sign because they wouldn't let him there if he was super contagious or if he really wasn't feeling well enough to get out of bed. But the issue is more than just the fact that he's having fevers and he's fatigued and losing weight. It's the fact that he has an enlarged spleen due to mononucleosis since he's an older guy getting this. Um, and if you get your spleen lacerated by somebody hitting you, which is very possible and it's enlarged during mono, you could potentially die. So this is a very serious thing for Sam Darnold. It's not just about, oh, he's feeling good, put him on the field. It's like, we need to wait until the doctors say that he's 100% safe to resume getting hit. And once he is, we're going to get him right back out there, and obviously the offense is going to be much better for it. But in the meantime, we got to work with our backups. So going into this game, it's moved to Trevor Simeon. We feel all right about that because he's one of the better backups in the league, so we think. The guy's got a winning record in the NFL. He's played meaningful games. Uh, he played for the Broncos in that Peyton Manning season when they had a lot of success. And we're thinking he's worked with Adam Gase. Potentially he can come in here, and maybe he can scrounge out, scrap out a Monday Night Football win against the Browns. Unfortunately... That's not the case. Trevor Simeon has a heck of a go. Can't get anything going. He's getting walloped, not passing the ball for positive yardage at all. And then he ends up getting hit. Hurts his, uh, hurts his leg. He's out for the year now. And we find this out, you know, midway through the game last night. We put in Luke Falk, who was our third string quarterback, was just moved up from the practice squad less than a week ago following the news of Sam Darnold and the mononucleosis. So that's where we're at now. We are riding with Luke Falk as our starting quarterback for the foreseeable future until Sam Darnold comes back. And to be honest, Luke Falk had a better game than what we saw from Trevor Simeon and actually ignited the offense a little bit in the second half of this game against the Browns. But we are in rough shape, and the fan base is losing their minds. There's all sorts of rumors about Jamal Adams unfollowing uh, the New York Jets Instagram page and taking them out of his bio. It's chaos there. Everyone's worried about Jamal Adams is going to demand a trade just like Jalen Ramsey and 
Minka Fitzpatrick and all these other guys, he's unhappy. There's, you know, everyone's dissecting everything that Adam Gay says. We've got injuries across the board. This team's looking like it can't pick up a first down, and it, and it feels like we're probably going to eventually lose Le'Veon Bell to an injury because he's getting this ball way too much, and he's running his heart out over and over. And, you know, for what reason right now, when you're losing the game 3-23, to you love to see it, but it's just sad to watch, and it feels like it's probably going to remain that way for some time, and we got a tough schedule coming up, and, uh, and yeah, but, you know, you got to remain optimistic because, in reality, did not have the Jets winning very many games in the first quarter and a half of the season, and it feels like it's going to be right on track for kind of what we predicted. We're a game behind. I thought we'd beat the Bills. Did feel like we'd lose to the Browns, though, lose to the Patriots, Eagles, Cowboys, Patriots. Those are all games that I easily saw us losing and, and predicted us losing. So it's not like we're behind schedule all that much. It just feels really bad because the product on the field is nowhere near what we're used to seeing or expecting to see. And all these big names we've brought in and drafted, we're hoping to see them come together as a unit. And the guys aren't on the field, and the guys that are on the field are trying to fill the holes of the backups who are coming in and find a way to get this offense moving that's just been implemented. And yeah, it's dark days. So I get why the fan base is freaking out, but, uh, you know, it's football. These things happen, and... You know, you can't make excuses, but when it comes to injuries and things like this that you can't help, some excuses kind of have to be made and kind of have to be allowed. This episode is going to follow a recap of the Browns-Jets game, that which is worth recapping. We're going to go over some of the team stats. There are some positives in there that I want to highlight for sure. Going to do a what's on tap, go over the player performances, and, you know, in a game like this, there really were so many players that didn't even show up or have an opportunity to show up. So we're going to focus on the stuff that was really good, the stuff that was bad, and some things that interest me. We're going to do a father time section, go over the schedule a little bit, and then, you know, talk about the Patriots game. And that's kind of it. Now, as always, if you like this podcast, I encourage you to like it, subscribe to it, rate, review, wherever you're listening to it, on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, any of those. Really appreciate any of the feedback I can get. And if you're looking for more content throughout the week, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan, where I uh, basically just try to defend the New York Jets any way that I can as I'm just swamped by negative, pessimistic Jets fans who are all ready to throw in the towel week two of the 2019 season. Yeah, it's not perfect, but, you know, let's let's keep our expectations in mind. People are acting like we were going to win the Super Bowl, and now everything is... Uh, everything is losing momentum it's like all right we were planning on going like eight and eight nine and seven maybe and having a really tough first half of the season so let's kind of allow that to be what's happening and then understand that we're doing it with a third string quarterback and without our first round rookie without our big cj mosley signing with a bunch of players off the field and actually playing some decent football at times almost able to beat the bills and there were some some glimmers of hope last night in a game that was otherwise just really really pathetic and lame, but we're going to focus on those highlights of the game right now. The New York Jets open up on Monday Night Football against the Cleveland Browns. This is a game that they lost 3-23, to and it started it started a little sloppy for the New York Jets. Uh, the Cleveland Browns moved the ball down the field relatively quickly, but the New York Jets held them. A bend-don't-break mentality on defense. The resiliency showed, and they gave up only a field goal. Now the New York Jets get the ball. They can't get anything going. Punt the ball, Browns, good field position, get another field goal, and this goes on for what feels like forever. Uh, the Browns eventually go down, score a touchdown. The Jets are struggling to even get a first down. Trevor Simeon can't throw the ball anywhere. We've got negative passing yards forever. It feels like uh, it feels like there's literally no hope on offense. They're putting eight guys in the box. They're covering all of the running lanes and getting to the quarterback at the same time. So you're giving it to Le'Veon Bell. He's doing everything that he can, working his ass off, try to get three, four yards when there's 
really only one yard or no yards available. Um, he's doing that and getting us those yards, but it's not enough. Now you got second down, we're throwing it incomplete. We're getting sacked left and right. Penalties are hurting us. Keeping the New York Jets pinned back deep in their own territory, constantly punting with Lock Edwards, giving the Browns the ball, you know, at their own 40 or closer. So they got short fields over and over again, and it just it really wasn't materializing at all. Trevor Simeon, he wasn't calling out protections. The offensive line wasn't guarding anybody, and Simeon wasn't getting the ball out of his hands quick enough. He would run like a screenplay or two, you know, to the running back or to somebody trying to get something to happen quick, and the plays were developing so slowly that you're supposed to get the ball two-step pop, you know, a nice rhythmic throw, and he's going, and he's still, like, making other reads first and then dumping it down, and by the time he does that, of course the defenders are already there because they're like, all right, he's panicking. He's probably going to go to the check down here. We needed to get him involved a little bit earlier in some quicker, smooth plays where he could get some sort of rhythm going, maybe some positive yardage. I mean, negative 12 yards passing is absolutely pitiful, and it was hard, hard, hard to watch, but... Of course, as he's getting shelled and not able to get anything going, an injury is inevitable at this point. He gets whacked by Miles Garrett, hurts his leg. He's out for the entire season, we find out today. So now you're at the point in the game where you're like, all right, now we have to go to our third-string quarterback, a guy who was just promoted from the practice squad a couple of days ago on the following the news from Sam Darnold and the mononucleosis. And so Luke Falk is playing, and he had an all-right preseason, dinking and dunking. We know he doesn't have a cannon of an arm, but uh, he's got some accuracy in his a decent game manager, it seems like. But Luke Falk has literally never suited up for an NFL game in his entire career. He's been on NFL rosters, but he's never suited up before. Just been an inactive player or on a practice squad for his entire career. So Luke Falk comes in, and somehow this guy actually has an okay game. And what I mean by an okay game is we just saw Trevor Simeon have negative 12 yards for basically a half. And now Luke Falk is coming in and picking up positive yardage sometimes, getting sacked less frequently. Now, right when he comes out, it was tough. He was getting hit, and it was like, okay, here's more of the same. But Le'Veon Bell started picking it up. The offensive line did a little bit better opening holes, and uh, we started picking up first downs. Now the New York Jets get close enough. They kick a field goal, three points on the board. All right, at least we scored something. We got a kick from our new guy, Ficken. Kicking Ficken gets a nice uh, 46-yarder, and that's a great sign because we hadn't kicked a field goal well since, uh, I don't know, like last season, basically. So we get points on the board, and Luke Falk continues to do what he can. But at this point, I mean, the game is basically out of hand because the offense, although it's improving, it's still not moving the ball with any sort of chunk yardage. It's just getting little dump-offs here, little dump-offs there. It just feels better getting four or five yards at a time. Meanwhile, the Browns are still getting field goals and, and progressing the ball and getting the ball in great field position. And there were a couple opportunities for the Jets to score. Uh, there wasn't one nice drive by Luke Falk. We had a nice deep pass to Robbie Anderson. We had a couple other nice plays. We get in, and uh, we get within the 15-yard line. Possibly going to score, get the game to maybe 10 to 16. We go for it on fourth and two. We're about a yard short. Don't get it. Turnover on down. So there go points there. You feel like, shoot, that was maybe our chance to get this game close. The Browns get the ball back. And right away, 89-yard pass to Odell Beckham Jr., Basically just pass over the middle, uncovered, and then uh, has an open field in front of him, just Marcus May back there, who's obviously not going to be able to tackle him with 15 yards of space between him and Odell Beckham Jr. Beckham takes it to the house. Uh, a very disappointing moment for uh, Greg Williams and New York Jets fans, I believe. 
Jets are now losing 3-23. to We move the ball down the field again a little bit later on on a nice Le'Veon Bell run, but he fumbles the ball within the 10-yard line, so we don't score points there. There were a few opportunities for the Jets. You know, we were going for it on fourth down. We knew that the, the cards were stacked against us, and it was going to take something crazy for us to win this game, so we were being a little bit more, I guess, aggressive in terms of, like, the, the situational calling, but... You know, when the game plan came down to it, we weren't taking any deep shots. We weren't doing anything too creative on offense. It was vanilla stuff. It looked like what we saw from Jeremy Bates all last year. It was just dinking and dunking, running the ball. There was no creativity, what we were hoping for from Adam Gase in this game. And, you know, you can only blame him so much because you've got a third-string quarterback in there, and he only knows the playbook how much at this point. I'm sure if you had Sam Darnold in there, he'd have a little bit more, you know, trickery little bit more up his sleeve to get going out there but you know you've only got five days for Luke Falk to prepare and he wasn't even preparing to start this game he just got thrown in there ultimately I didn't hate what I saw from Luke Falk I do understand that he's a backup and he's always probably going to be a backup I mean he's just trying to hold the fork down while Sam Darnold is gone and he's got to play the Patriots and the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Patriots and it's not going to be easy and there's no scenario really where it looks pretty he's not going to come out there and take the league by storm he doesn't have the arm for it He's got decent accuracy and good game management ability, we believe, you know, from what he did in college and everything, but he's got more of a duck arm than Chad Pennington had. I mean, this guy's not going to be breaking the bank open. He's going to be doing little little dump-offs. He's going to be doing 10-yard throws, 15-yard throws, and uh, hopefully the accuracy is there and we can pick up some first downs, score some points. We don't want it to look as bad as it did this week. We don't want to look like that ever again. That first half was some of the worst football I've ever seen the Jets play, and I've seen... Greg McElroy play a game, and Brooks Bollinger. I mean, we all saw some pretty bad Jets football within the last 15 years, but this one uh, this one was up there. So the Jets don't capitalize on a few scoring opportunities. They play relatively good defense overall. Greg Williams uh, doing some nice defensive schemes, some nice uh, exotic looks at Baker Mayfield, kind of had him confused for a bit of the game. But they lose this game 3-23. to When you look at the team stats, it actually wasn't, that bad statistically we watched the game so we know how horrifically ugly it was at times for a lot of this game what have i told you though when i go through these the new york jets had 13 first downs to the browns 16 we only had three less first down than the browns right we were two for 14 on third down which was a huge killer for us but we kept the browns to four of 13 on third down so that helped us big time we both ran 59 plays both had 12 drives the Browns did have more yards per play at 6.4 versus the Jets 4.4. We know we were just running the ball up the middle and doing dinks and dunks. And sure, some of these stats came in garbage time for the New York Jets. I do understand that, but it wasn't. Uh, there wasn't that much garbage time in this game. The defense kept them close enough where the game never really got completely out of hand. It just, you knew they weren't going to get the necessary offensive yardage to score a ton of points, but technically they were within you know, striking distance for a lot of this game. So there wasn't a ton of that. New York just ran for more yards than the than the Browns, 93 yards to 70 yards, testament to Le'Veon Bell, everything that he did. The big issue in this one was the penalties. 12 penalties for the Jets for 85 yards. Now, the Bills were ridiculously penalized last week. They had like 18 penalties last week. This game, they halved that, but they still had nine penalties for 85 yards. Pretty even there, but the Jets came at some pretty inopportune times. We had a holding penalty on a fourth down. We had a couple other uh, tough penalties where it seemed like the Jets were maybe going to get out of Dodge and get something going, and uh, it just didn't happen because of those penalties. Both teams had one turnover, and the Jets actually had more time of possession. I know, how is that believable? 
The New York Jets punted the ball to the Browns over and over again. The Browns were picking up first downs. We weren't. We were punting it, basically instantly. And somehow the Jets end up with more time of possession than the Browns. Now, we stopped their running game relatively well. We stopped Baker Mayfield. You know, aside from one big play, we stopped him relatively well. We didn't get enough pressure. No. And we couldn't move the ball in this game. But when you look statistically, it was a game that you're thinking to yourself, if Sam Darnold was out there, if C.J. Mosley was out there, you know, if we had our horses, this is a game that the Jets easily could have won. And I think that's part of what's so frustrating because we know we could have won week one against the Bills, could have potentially been 1-0. Ugly, sure, but won it. We know that if we had some players in this game, the Browns didn't do anything to wow us. They didn't look like that good of a team. We just looked like a team in shambles, which we are. And so you're thinking to yourself, wow, imagine we could have been 2-0 potentially had we had all of our guys here. We'll never know. You know, we'll never get to see what it would have been fully healthy. All we'll get is the product on the field of Luke Falk, Trevor Simeon, and uh, and a bunch of backups all over the place. And that's it for our recap. There's really not that much more to talk about. There were plenty of other things that happened in this game, but so much of it was just so uneventful and just so hard to watch. We're going to try to... Uh, move through it unfortunately I do have the feeling that there's going to be a few more episodes like this in the next coming weeks and I'm not looking forward to doing it but you know what this is the jet life this is kind of what you get this is the cards we've been dealt seems like year after year after year but I'm sure as I always am that it's all on track to great success in the future and when we get there it's going to feel so much better having been on the bottom like this we'll truly get to understand what it means to be at the top Right, my dad always reminds me of Bill's character to be a Jets fan. You're just becoming a better person because you're not used to winning and you don't just get handed things. You realize what it takes to work for something. And we certainly are going to be working for every win we can get this year. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so before we move on to some player performances, those good, those bad, I want to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That's right, I got to do a what's on tap because after a game like that, you know there's going to be drinking. I usually get an extra buffer day before my podcast because I usually watch the games on Sunday and then have Monday off to recover, reflect. I'm usually at a very low point if we've lost. And then uh, I kind of get a little bit more balanced and even keel about it on Tuesday where I can truly go over it. But uh, today I don't have that recovery time, so it's been it's been a tough go. I was, I'm not going to lie. The games affect me pretty negatively. I find out how weak of a person I am. Uh, every Jets season because when the Jets lose I don't take it very well and it's better than it used to be because when I was a kid I would cry uh, when the Jets lost and then I got a little better I moved on past that and then I would cry when the season was over it'd be like I you know not ball my eyes out but just a, a few tears would stream down my face just remembering that I'd never get to see this unit completely together ever again guys would be gone we'd find new people we'd replace certain guys others would retire and you know, this team that I put all my heart and energy into uh, would never truly find success. And that goes on year after year, and you do sort of get numb to it. So I kind of understand those those pessimistic older Jets fans who have been doing this for much longer than I have. But 
at the same time, you know, I got to uh, gotta handle them a little bit better. Hopefully working on that. This season may help. This may be, this may build more character than ever. Everything we're about to endure over the next few weeks. But uh, I digress. I am trying to do a little what's on tap. And today I am drinking another beer from Nebco, New England Brewing Company. So last week was a Fuzzy Baby Ducks from roommate Kyle. Today is a beer that I got myself called Supernaut by New England Brewing Company here in Connecticut called Nebco. Now, Supernaut is a 5.8% alcohol India Pale Ale in a 12-ounce can. So it's a nice pale ale. It's similar to uh, some of Nebco's other beers, similar to like a Sea Hag. I think it's... I would put Fuzzy Baby Ducks that I had last week at the top. Then I would put Sea Hag below that. Supernaut maybe right behind Sea Hag. Sea uh, Hag is one of the most available, good, classic standby IPAs that you can get in this area that I'm from in Connecticut. Uh, Supernaut is less available. You don't see it as often in the store, but it also probably isn't as good. It's just a little bit more, uh, a little bit more rare. So you feel a little bit like, ooh, Supernaut. I don't get these as often. Um, but for the side of the can for this. Hello? Houston, do you copy? Houston, I repeat. We have the Supernaut. Hints of tropical fruit, berry flavors, rich, full flavor, and a 5.8% IPA. Affirmative. It is delicious. Unfortunately, all samples were consumed and more will be required. Houston, we have a problem. Alright, all of that crackling static is actually written on the can, so I didn't do that by choice. It was just the only way to get the message across that Nebco wanted me to have. Beer overall is pretty full-bodied. It is, uh, it's smooth, and it's 5.8%, so it's not like a heavy alcohol content. You can't taste a ton of that, but it's very bitter, and it's got some light fruity taste in there. It's not too fruity. I don't like super sweet beers. This one's not that. It's just a little bit bitter, and probably a little bit more bitter for my taste. I like them a little bit smoother, a little bit mellower on the tongue. This one kind of like hangs on there for a while in that middle back of your tongue where you're just like, uh, you know. Not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, for me, not my fave. If you like a nice, bitter, easy drinking IPA and you see Supernaut by Nebco, give it a try. It's got a astronaut on the cover, and it looks like that astronaut has some beer in his astronaut headpiece or mask or whatever you call that uh, orbular structure that goes over an astronaut to keep them from dying in space. He's filled his with beer, so he's enjoying a Supernaut as well. Or perhaps this is what makes him the Supernaut. Either way, we're drinking it, we're liking it, and uh, that is what's powering this week's episode of This is the Jet Life. So that is what's on tap. Now I want to move over to the player performances from this game that I think require a little bit of a, a, a shout-out. Maybe some of the good performances in this one that I want to get to. First one I want to talk about, Sam Ficken. Why do I want to talk about kicking Ficken? Because we haven't had a kicker all year that could do anything. We basically lost the Buffalo game because Kari Vedvik couldn't kick a field goal, and we did tryouts with a bunch of, uh, with like five dudes that none of the names jumped off the pages like, ooh, this is a guy that could really win this thing. But they took five guys. Some had kicked in the NFL before in uh, regular season games. Ficken was one of them. He didn't have a great record, right, with the Rams. He was three for six in his career with the Rams. But he comes out for the Jets. A 46-yarder is enough of a test to be like, all right, this is not a gimme kick for everybody. This one can be somewhat challenging at that distance. Ficken kicks it no problem. Looks absolutely perfect. And uh, it was the only opportunity he got. We didn't get to see him do an extra point. We're not sold on the guy yet, but you make it through a game one for one, good enough. You're the kicker next week. And before the game, he was booting 60-yard bombs like nothing. You know, he was making 
60-yarder after 60-yarder in warm-ups, which is much better than we saw from Kari Vedvik, where he couldn't make a single kick in practice before the game. Another good performance. And this one is going to be Luke Falk. And it's not necessarily because Luke Falk had a great game. It's because he didn't have a terrible game like Trevor Simeon was having and because we need to try to find something positive to build on as we move forward. Falk is the answer at quarterback for the immediate future until Sam Darnold is back. And the guy didn't play terrible, right? He had a 99 quarterback rating in this game. He didn't take too many chances down the field. He didn't push the issue. We needed points, and he wasn't going out there aggressively like, I'm going to find a way to take it. No, he kind of just allowed himself to be like, let's just do what I can do within the system, see if I can get some yardage here and there, and and put together a strong performance. You know, that wasn't really what the game needed at that point. We're kind of like down by 20. Maybe you got to do something a little bit more aggressive, but that's not his style. He went 20 for 25, 7.9 yards per attempt, 198 yards. He was sacked twice. Uh, Like I said, 99 quarterback rating. Some of this came in garbage time, so it's not as impressive, of course, because there were a few drives that the Browns knew the Jets were basically out of this game, and we got some extra yardage to Jamison Crowder, another catch or two from Robbie Anderson. But still, when you're 20 for 25 and you've never suited up for an NFL game before and you come out on Monday Night Football and you at least put together some sort of semblance of understanding the position on short notice when you weren't expecting to play, it's somewhat impressive. And uh, no, it was definitely not enough to win. He didn't go out there and try to win the game, but he tried to play decent quarterback and he played decent quarterback. This guy maybe could be Sam Donald's backup. We'll see as time goes on what he can do. He's going to have a rough stretch coming up and he's going to have plenty of time to prove it. I do think that uh, when it comes to a guy like this, sometimes it's easier to come in without having to think about the game plan, to be the backup quarterback, not prepping to play in the game, and then all of a sudden get thrown out there because your head doesn't start turning. You don't start overthinking it. You don't start thinking back to the game plan and what am I supposed to do in this situation and this and that. You just kind of let the game come to you and you play the best way that you can. You have a minimal playbook. You have limited expectations for yourself, as does the team, and everybody kind of rises up for you. They're like, all right, let's you know, let's boost. You saw Le'Veon Bell play a little bit better when Falk came out. I think some of the guys get a little bit of added juice of like, all right, you know, we know this guy. He's never played. Let's give him the best effort that we can to see what he can do and give him a chance to do well. It's harder when, in my opinion, when you have like the whole week to really think about, all right, what are we going to do against the New England Patriots? How can I beat the New England Patriots? You put all these expectations on yourself and pressure on yourself and you're trying to look for this and look for that because you've been planning for it all week. You know, sometimes it can get in your head and make things a little bit more complicated. We'll see how Luke Falk can handle that as time goes on. Another guy that had a great game, Le'Veon Bell. And his numbers don't jump off the pages like, wow, that's a heck of a game from Le'Veon Bell. But when you watched him on the field, he was incredibly passionate about this game. He was trying to do everything that he could. At times, it was like him against three, four guys, and he's still ripping for every single yard he can possibly get. At times, it felt like Le'Veon Bell was the only guy that really wanted to get a first down. And, uh, you know, he was just playing that hard. And for the entire game, quarter one, quarter two, three, and four, he never stopped giving it 100%. And I just don't want to see him get injured. You know, he was getting a lot of touches in this game. He had 21 carries in this game and add on another 10 receptions. I mean, you touch the ball 31 times in a game where you're not even moving the ball forward. and You're just trying to get two, three yards from Le'Veon Bell, check downs, like, oh, we don't know what to do. It's third down. Let's just dump it to Le'Veon Bell and see what he can do. I mean, he's just getting roasted time and time again, and the defense is absolutely keying on Le'Veon Bell because the game plan is so clearly running through him. It's like, can Le'Veon Bell win this game for us? No, when you got eight guys in the box and all they're doing is watching Le'Veon Bell, you can't. He had the most catches, the most carries. He was basically the offense for most of this game, and the yards per attempt weren't there, 3.2 yards per carry. 
But when you watched the game and you saw 68 yards from this offense in this game, you were like, okay, that's actually pretty impressive that he came out with 68 yards. And some of those runs, they should have been two-yard runs, and they turned into something bigger. The receiving game, not a great average there. You know, 6.1 yards per catch, 61 yards. But when you, again, when you have nothing going on offense and somebody's able to give you 10 catches for 61 yards and 67 yards rushing, 68 yards, you know, you're getting 138 yards from scrimmage. You can't complain about that performance, not the way he was playing. And, uh, you know, it was kind of, it's kind of like sad to watch him play that hard. And just be like, wow, we, we can't do anything to help him out. He's going to do everything that he can in his power to try to win this game. And it looks like it's going to kill him and nobody else can get anything going. It was just, uh, it was disappointing for sure. But you know what? He was on Twitter and stuff today. He was being very optimistic, and uh, he was saying he's not going to complain about anything. He's got a great life. He loves what he's doing. It's disappointing to lose. Of course, he hates it, but uh, he's got nothing to complain about right now, he said. So, you know, power to him for staying strong. He seems like so far he's been a class act since getting him, and he's healthy. He's everything that we wanted. That's why we pay him a lot of money. Unfortunately, he alone cannot win football games. Moving out to some of the defensive guys that stood out to me. One of them was Nate Hairston, number 21, the cornerback that we traded for from the Indianapolis Colts. Now, we traded a late-round pick for him. We didn't have super high expectations, but we knew that we don't have cornerbacks. We don't really have anybody behind Poole, Trumaine Johnson, and Daryl Roberts that can play the position. So we have to find somebody who can at least get on the field and not embarrass us. Now, last week, Daryl Roberts and Trumaine Johnson had horrific games. They couldn't cover. They were getting penalties. And... uh and it was ugly. So what did the Jets do this week? They bench Trumaine Johnson and play Nate Harrison. And so first the game comes out and you see Harrison. He didn't play last week. And so you see Harrison on the field and you're like, oh, Harrison's getting a chance. All right, let's see what he can do. And he has a few nice plays. And you realize, all right, Trumaine Johnson's not on the field. They must be trying to send a message to him. Wonder when they're going to switch this up. The game continues on. Harrison has what I consider to be a good game. He was playing aggressive, um, considering the cornerbacks that we have as well. you got to remember that we've got Daryl Roberts, Trumaine Johnson, a bunch of no-names back there. Arthur Mollette was playing. We've got, anyways, we've got the worst cornerbacks we've ever had, maybe. And we need to find some sort of positive in there. Maybe some guy can step up. And Nate Harrison comes out. He's tackling well. He unfortunately knocks David Njoku out of the game with a, what looked to be a concussion. But it was on a nice hit breaking up a pass uh you know he had a holding penalty on a fourth down which was actually pretty devastating but it was something that was a ticky tacky call didn't necessarily have to be called Hairston was staying with his man he wasn't getting burned and you're talking about receivers that are much better than the Bills receivers from last week we're talking about you know Jarvis Landry's Odell Beckham Jr. and uh and Harrison went out there and he put together a pretty strong performance looked like the best cornerback performance we've seen from anybody in this group all season long and Trumaine Johnson, by the end of this game, he played four snaps to Nate Hairston's 94%. 6% for True, 94% for Hairston. So if a message wasn't sent through that, I mean, Trumaine Johnson's got to figure this thing out now. My dad's got the opinion that Trumaine Johnson is taking advantage of the New York Jets and milking them for all they've got, that he's just going to accept his $15 million a year. He would love to just stay in the bench, hiding, not letting people see just how bad he's become over the years. And, uh, and just get that paycheck. And maybe that's true. I honestly think that this message sent by the coaching staff will probably resonate with him a little bit because when you get benched on Monday Night Football and people are showing you on the cameras, standing on the sideline, healthy, think you're thinking you're going to play, prepping all week for it, and then Harrison goes in there and does a good job, makes you look bad, 
I think that for pride's sake, you have to find a way to get a little bit more out of yourself. Maybe run a little bit harder. Maybe fight through some of those injuries that are, you know, stinging you up a little bit. Maybe you find a way to be a better version of yourself. And uh, and hopefully Hairston inspired that this week. He did have a good performance. It was better than Trumaine Johnson's last week. And if you're looking at the Patriots next week and having to go up against Antonio Brown and Julian Edelman and all the weapons they've got on offense, you're thinking to yourself that Harrison's one of the guys that you trust the most. I mean, after the performance last night, compared to what we've seen from this this unit, I mean, there are not many options. It's not like we've got other guys to choose from. It's those three and Brian Poole, who plays nickel. And he did an all right job, too. I'm not, I'm not upset with the performance from Poole. He's probably the second best, you know, across the board this year between the four guys. But maybe we found somebody who can at least play competent cornerback, and we'll see how this thing shakes up with the snap count and moving forward. Another position that I'd like to emphasize is the inside linebackers. Now, the Jets have injuries to two of their best defensive players, Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley. Williamson out for the year, C.J. Mosley day-to-day, hopefully returning soon. And so, in their place, we've got two backups starting, guys that were, you know, when the roster was built, meant to be backups. That's Neville Hewitt and Blake Cashman. Tough task for them, right? It's not just one guy out there in the middle of the field trying to kind of find their way and, and get to understanding the pace of a, a real NFL game. You know, Neville Hewitt played snaps last year, but never to the extent of like starting an entire game and playing 100% of snaps, which is where he's at now. But then you've got another guy, a rookie, who's never started the game his entire career, and he's playing also 100% of the snaps right next to you, helping you call out the defensive protections and <laughs> and the game plan and everything. I mean, you don't have your captain in Mosley, you don't have Avery Williamson, and you got these two backups. And actually, they put together a pretty strong performance. Statistically, they led the team in tackles, the two of them. Uh, Neville Hewitt had eight, Blake Cashman had six, so 14 between the two. They had one and a half sacks between the two of them, one for Hewitt, half a sack for Blake Cashman. They had two and a half set, uh, tackles for a loss, one for Hewitt, one and a half for Cashman. Both had a pass deflection, both had a quarterback hit. I mean, for two guys that are backups that were never expected to play 100% of snaps in any of the games, for them to go out there in a big game against what's supposed to be a, a strong offense in the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football, take over that position and have some of the strongest performances on the defense, I mean, that's impressive. These guys are supposed to be backups, right? We can't compare them to starters and be like, oh, they're not as good as Luke Keekley and they're not as good as Jalen Smith of the Cowboys because these guys aren't supposed to be that. They're supposed to be number three, number four inside linebacker on your depth chart. Avery Williamson and... C.J. Mosley ahead of them, of course. Playing minimal snaps, playing special teams, in case of an injury here and there, playing some snaps, but not just taking over the linebacking core, which is what they had to do. And you got to give credit to him. You know, there were some mistakes here and there, but Blake Cashman's getting back in the backfield. He's moving quickly. He looked a lot better than last week. I think last week he got thrown in there. He looked a little bit lost. This week he had confidence. He was getting behind the line of scrimmage, tackling guys in the backfield. He was wrapping guys up. We had a lot of gang tackling. I think one thing that I was impressed with with the New York Jets team was how they tackled in this game. There were a few bad broken tackles, and I think as the game went on, there were more and more. But we were hitting hard all game long. Early on, we were cleaning up almost everything. A lot of gang tackles, three, four guys coming in, guys cleaning up piles and things like that. And uh, and these two guys were at the center of all of it, Neville Hewitt and Blake Cashman. So good game from the two of them. One day, C.J. Mosley will be back. Next year, we assume Avery Williamson will be back, but these are guys that potentially can be very serviceable backups. And, uh, you know, if there's anything we've learned from this team this year is that depth is very important and you really need to be able to rely on depth when you get to the, you know, when the schedule comes up and you got a game, 
you've got injuries every single week. So you better make sure you have guys behind your starters who are ready to play. And it looks like potentially we have two of them. Uh, before I move on from that, I will just say Neville Hewitt, not that good in coverage. And uh, when it comes to covering running backs, he's not great at it. When it comes to covering tight ends, he's not great. He's not super fast. He's a better tackler, better run stopper, and just overall better in the box linebacker than he is at uh, being a coverage going out there. We saw him get burned by Chubb on a deep pass that, you know, it was like a 25-yard pass, a long route run by Chubb, so it was very difficult for him to keep up, but Baker Mayfield had a lot of time in the pocket, as he did for a lot of this game, and he was able to find the running back way down the field with Neville Hewitt like 10 yards away trying desperately to keep up, and I think we've seen that from him a few times this year where he just kind of gets lost in coverage, but again, you can't do everything. He's a backup for a reason. You bring him in situationally, that's what backups are for, and he is playing serviceable starting minutes right now. I mentioned the Jets weren't getting much of a rush in this game. We didn't really see anything from Leonard Williams Henry Anderson hardly back there. Steve McClendon, he's older and you know he plays some good run stopping minutes, but he's not great at getting back after the quarterback. Jordan Jenkins, he leaves this game in an injury, so we don't have him. He's probably our best pass rusher. On the other side, you've got Harvey Lange, who at a couple times flashed, but wasn't getting back at the quarterback very much. Minimal impact from him. But the guy that was actually getting after him most consistently was Terrell Basham. At the end of this game, Basham has four tackles and a sack. But what stood out the most is that. When Baker Mayfield was under pressure and was forced to roll out, get rid of the ball quickly, throw the ball away, Basham was the guy that was on his heels. Felt like four times out of five, the guy that was pressuring Baker Mayfield the most, forcing him to roll out and do that stuff, was Terrell Basham. And so a younger guy on the New York Jets defensive line, seeing him come out, put in that kind of effort and energy, and be the guy that can get after the quarterback is a really good sign. We don't know who's going to be here for the New York Jets next year. Leonard Williams, will he be here, will he not? We may not have Steve McClendon. I know we've got a really deep unit right now, but when it comes to starters, we may be losing a couple. Nathan Shepard, we're not sure what's going to happen with him. I mean, this could be a different unit. We have to figure out, do we have guys in this roster that deserve to be here? Do we have guys that deserve to be starters? Because Joe Douglas hasn't had a free agency yet. He hasn't had a draft yet. He hasn't really had an opportunity to put his fingerprint on the roster. And these guys have to step up. Even if you're a bench player, even if you're a deep guy, and seeing Terrell Basham be the defensive lineman that stood out time and time again, It's a really good sign for him. Gives you more confidence in his play. The last good thing that I really saw, I want to point out Greg Williams. I think that Greg Williams had a really good defensive game plan. I know there was that one big play to Odell Beckham Jr. for 89 yards, which drove him crazy, especially given the the drama in the media this week between the two of them. But for a lot of this game, it felt like Greg Williams was doing more on defense than Baker Mayfield could handle. Now, he had issues getting after the quarterback. I was surprised that we didn't blitz more, but it seemed like when we did blitz, we had very minimal pressure, so it was hurting us not having the guys back to defend. What he started doing was a lot of man coverage looks and then switching to zone after the snap. And Baker Mayfield, seeing this, think he's got man, and the Jets would switch it up, go to zone, and typically Baker Mayfield is a little bit more talented against a man defense. Zone, he struggles with a little bit more. Greg Williams found a way to make him think he had one thing and then go to his weakness. And Baker Mayfield, I mean, he was 54% passing in this game, and you can say whatever you want about his stats, 325 yards, but the guy didn't have a great game. He really didn't. If you watch what he did, he was inaccurate on a bunch of passes. He was confused at times. We kept him in the pocket. He didn't get to roll out and make his flashy leg plays and then chuck it around. When he did try to do that, most of the time, it was a poor throw. And aside from a couple of bailouts from Odell Beckham Jr., He really didn't have all that much going against the New York Jets. Greg Williams had his number. It just felt like if we had something going on offense, we really could have won this game. If we had our guys out there, if we could have done the game plan we wanted to do, 
with Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson and Chris Herndon and everybody else, the guys that we have on this roster, best team. You know, if we saw this team in week eight, week nine, you know, the Browns probably at that point would be a stronger unit as well. But you just got to think, you know, they're really not doing all that well. Baker Mayfield, after two weeks this season, 27th in the league in quarterback rating. Say what you want. You can talk about how well he's doing for a young quarterback in the NFL. They'll love to focus on the yards. They'd love to focus on that. How about the fact that he's got the second most interceptions in the NFL right now, the 27th quarterback rating? I mean, this guy just threw for 54%. Isn't he supposed to be an accurate quarterback against what? This Jets defense that's banged up, benching their starting cornerback. They don't have their captain in the middle of the field. They don't have their rookie first-round pick in the nose tackle position. I mean, this is supposed to be a gimme game. The Jets are constantly giving you the ball in Jets field position. They're constantly giving you the ball to 50 over and over again. Here, take it back, take it back, take it back. And he's like, well, I'll take it, but I can't do anything with it. And so that Greg Williams defense in this game was one of the uh, things that really stood out as a positive thing. Moving forward, you know, I think that Greg Williams is, we've always known this because we played him last year on the Browns when uh, Sam Darnold was a rookie, is that Greg Williams is great against young quarterbacks because he's really good at confusing you. Now, he's not going to have the same type of success against Tom Brady. If you're thinking, wow, look what he did this week. He could do that next week and maybe get in Tom Brady's head. It doesn't work like that. The younger you are, the more naive you are and not used to seeing different looks and changes and stuff, the more Greg Williams feeds off that and tries to give you more and more looks, try to make you more and more confused, and it works well. He did that to Sam Darn last year. We did it to Baker Mayfield this year, and he loves doing it to rookie quarterbacks. Rookie quarterback, second year, third year, anybody who's inexperienced. Tom Brady, on the other hand, he's probably going to pick us apart and eat us alive. A couple other guys to mention. Jamal Adams had an all right game. He had a few penalties, a personal foul that was a late hit. Almost a really nice play by him, forcing Baker Mayfield to throw it away. If he didn't get the personal foul, would have been a great play, but he just, he'd run so far, he wanted to get that last little push in. Unfortunately, it cost him. He had a couple of offsides late in the game on the same drive. He had two, and uh, that led to him being benched late in the game, which is why he was upset, which is why we think he changed his Instagram information and stuff. But we don't really care about that because he's on our team, and everything that I know, Jamal Adams wants to be New York Jet, and he's a true, true competitor, and he's probably pissed off right now because we're not playing well, and it doesn't look like we're about to be playing well. I mean, he's going to give everything that he's got, but when you're looking around and you're like, this guy's not giving everything he's got, and we're banged up here, and we're missing Jordan Jenkins and Mosley, and where, where's our team, and what's going on, and now you're getting benched and stuff, and you're the only guy that seems like you're putting 100% effort out there and doing what you can to help win this game, it's frustrating. But he's going to have to suck it up because he got drafted by the Jets, and we lose a lot of games, and this happens. So, you know, unfortunately... It's uh, one of the worst parts about being a New York Jet. The good parts is that we have unconditional love for you because you're the greatest thing that's on this roster right now. And at the very least, fans know that we're going into a game getting to watch your performances. So that's got to be kind of a nice feeling. Marcus May also had an all right game. He uh, He's not as good at tackling as I remember. He honestly looks smaller and faster this year. Um, he used to be a little bit, little bit beefier, a little better at laying the hits. He kind of got taken by Chubb a few times when uh, Chubb was running at him instead of going at him, putting a shoulder down, wrapping him up. He kind of went back and hugged him and gave up three or four more yards, probably because he's been injured a bunch in his career, and he's probably a little afraid to to give those nasty licks like he used to, but he's covering the field well. He had a really nice pass breakup in the end zone, coming over on a bracket on Odell Beckham Jr. like to see that, but, uh, you know, overall, can't really complain with the defense. They played all right. It was the offense. It was the offensive line, and uh, and that brings us to the bad of the game. So the bad... We talked about Trumaine Johnson. That was bad. Guy didn't play. He got benched. He played four snaps. 
got replaced by Nate Harrison, who didn't play a snap last week and honestly played pretty well. So we'll see what Trumaine Johnson has left in the tank with this New York Jets team. But the tolerance level for his effort and performances out there is pretty low at this point. Moving forward to the offensive line, it was ugly. I mean, they're saying Ryan Khalil may get benched for Jonathan Harrison coming up. We had penalties all over the place. At least three called on Kelvin Beecham. Not all accepted, but called on him. Kelvin Beecham gave up, what, three sacks? I mean, Beecham had a really bad game. I mean, I said he was regressing in the preseason show. I was saying that I think Beecham looks like he's taking a step back. He's probably not the answer for the future. We're probably going to have to address that. Hopefully it's Chuma Adoga. We're not sure yet. He's still inactive uh, for these game days. We haven't seen him suit up for a game yet. But Beecham, I mean, he was getting blasted. Miles Garrett's a really good player, don't get me wrong. One of the best defensive ends in the league. But just because you play against a great defensive end doesn't mean you can just forget how to block and you can just allow guys to get free runs at the quarterback. <laughs> Beecham was getting overpowered, outmoved. He was getting penalties, doing everything he could to try to keep these quarterbacks healthy. And you know what? He couldn't because these guys getting back there, it caused Trevor Simeon to be out for the entire year. And by these guys, I really mean Miles Garrett. Why would Miles Garrett move around the field? Just keep going after Kelvin Beecham. You clearly have his number all game long. Now, part of this goes to the game plan. Why didn't we have something dialed up to try to stop Miles Garrett, especially after what we'd seen early in the game? I'm thinking to myself, we draft Trevon Wesco, who's a blocking tight end, to replace Eric Tomlinson as a better blocking option there. You know, we see him in college. It's like he hardly has any catches, but the guy can block. He's a big, a strong-hearted competitor who's a great addition to any team, and people are raving about him. Oh, he's great. He's a guy that I would have liked to see involved in this game plan. If the game plan is to go out there with a backup quarterback and run the ball over and over again with Le'Veon Bell and try to set up screen passes and things like that, short little dinks and dunks with Luke Falk and Trevor Simeon, then Trevon Wesco, a tight end like that, should be perfect in the run game to help block, to go out for screens when they're expecting you to block, and to go out in short passing games in the flats, pick up some yardage, use your tight ends, security blanket for a young quarterback. Oftentimes they're referred to as that. I would like to see him just out there, you know, chipping and helping with Miles Garrett here and there. But the guy can't even get on the field. I mean, this is a real bummer. This is a game where you know there's a clear weakness on your left side, and you're going to continue to run the ball. You've got two wide receivers that are out, Quincy Nunwa. Demarius Thomas leaves this game injured. You're playing with Joshua Bellamy, who can't catch a ball but her hands. Barrios, who's never played an offensive snap. you got Robbie Anderson and Jameson Crowder. You don't have your starting tight end in Chris Herndon. You're down to your third quarterback. And everyone keeps beating up on your left tackle. So why can't you find a blocking tight end to go in there at a sixth man to that line? Chip, block, whatever. You can, you can <laughs> just, I don't know. I, I just feel like Trevon Wesco, if he was good at blocking, catching, anything like that, he would be involved in the game plan. And people are saying, well, he's just a rookie. You know what? Chris Harden was just a rookie. He looked a heck of a lot better than this. Dustin Keller looked a heck of a lot better than this. Hawkinson gets on the field. He plays well. And you're saying, well, you can't compare Hawkinson. He's a really good tight end. Exactly. Trevon Wesco is not. Good tight ends find a way to get onto the field. Good players, good rookies find a way to get onto the field. Blake Cashman was at least getting snaps on the field. Trevon Wesco, he played three snaps this game. This guy useless? At what point do you just keep him on the roster? I mean, we cut Jordan Leggett, right? Because he wasn't giving enough. I mean, he was able to be on the field, but he wasn't doing anything. At what point do you just keep this guy on the bench and just be like, well, one day maybe he's going to become something. It's like, you don't, have, you don't have room for that. We have a bunch of guys we got to get in here. If you can't do the job quickly, what is to make us to think you're going to do it later? 
we don't have unlimited practice squad positions where guys can just start to develop and do this and that. You can have a few developmental players, but only from guys that show that they're developing. Can't leave a stagnant guy there. I need to see more out of Trevon Wesco. It just really pissed me off that we have him here. Everyone said, well, Chris Herndon's suspended, so Trevon Wesco's going to get involved in the game plan. We're putting Ryan Griffin in, who can't block or catch. He's the most experienced guy out there. Daniel Brown's playing more snaps than Trevon Wesco. At least Daniel Brown played five snaps compared to Wesco's three. So where does that put Wesco? Third on the depth chart right now without Chris Herndon. So fourth on the depth chart with him. Does that mean he's about to get cut just like Ja'Kai Polite? I mean, this guy's got to find a way to get onto the field. If not now, then when? We have everybody banged up and no Herndon. We got backup quarterbacks in now. These are guys that you practice with. This is your team in practice. The B team, the C team. Luke Falk, you know, he goes out there. He doesn't get Robbie Anderson when he does practice. He gets Trevon Wesco, the bottom tier tight end. So you should have some sort of chemistry there. Find a way to get involved in the game plan and show us why we drafted you. I know we didn't draft you. Joe Douglas didn't draft you. Mike McCagnan did. Dare we mention his name. But still. Moving on from uh, Wesco and the offensive line and the blocking and all that, the game plan that was very frustrating. Simeon had a very bad game. He looked like he couldn't do anything out there. And uh, honestly, Luke Falk looked to be a little bit of a replacement. You don't want to see Simeon go down. You don't want to add insult to injury here. But it was a, a very ugly performance from him. And then the big, the big other thing was the penalties in this game. We already talked about it, but... You're not going to win games having 12 penalties. We got to get that. We got to half that number, especially against a team like the Patriots. I mean, we're going to lose to the Patriots. We already know it. We're going into this thing like over 20 point underdogs. But we got to find a way to not be. Come on, can we not be 43 to three in this game? Can it be a little bit better than that? Can we get a touchdown or two and and show that maybe keep it close for the first half? I just you know it's it's probably a lot to ask to be honest because Bill Belichick will know exactly how to confuse Luke Falk. Luke Falk is not ready for this game at all. We're missing a bunch of guys. I have a feeling that we're probably going to keep a bunch of guys out of this game because if a guy's on the verge of coming back and you're like, "Eh, he probably can play, but we're not positive." Why put him in against the Patriots? You have a bye the following week. Why do that to yourself? Just go out there weak horsed and uh <laughs> chalk this one up as an L. It honestly feels like it's uh, already at that point. This is that that one game on the entire schedule. You know, I'll be more optimistic playing the Cowboys, playing the Eagles, but these Patriots games that we have to play, I mean, there's as little hope as there ever is. This is a team that knows us, and they're the they're the best team in the NFL year after year, and they know us better than anybody. We don't even know ourselves right now. I'm sure that Bill Belichick has a better idea what we're going to do than Adam Gase does at this point. So, anyway couple other things to mention. Lock Edwards punted the ball a bunch. He's been pretty good all year. He's a middle-of-the-road punter. He's about middle of the league in everything, all the statistical categories. He's right there in the middle. Uh, when it comes to return yardage, there are more return yardage against the New York Jets special teams than most, so that's something that we got to improve on with Brant Boyer. We have a bunch of guys that were paying for special teams, Rontez Miles, Joshua Bellamy. It's time to start getting to the return man earlier and taking him down a little bit earlier. They're averaging like 11 yards or so per return right now, and it's just too much. Lock Edwards did have one bad punt that was like a shank of 34 yards. You don't want to see that. Those things can put you in bad situations, but otherwise Lock Edwards was asked to punt a ton, and he's okay. You know, I think some people try to hype him up to be a little bit better than he is. He's not a top five punter in the league. He's definitely not, but he's not a bottom five punter in the league either. And honestly, average at that position it's all right because you don't have to find a replacement. You have a guy that can do it serviceably and do it well enough. It's better than we could say about our kicker right now. We would love to have a serviceable kicker. 
If we had one of those all year, we may have won week one. Probably would have. So, you know, Lock Edwards, he's doing all right. On the other side, Braxton Berrios, our new return man, he's caught every single punt. He hasn't had a, a lot of returns yet. I think he only has one for like three yards, and it wasn't anything special. But honestly, the more you see him just do the fair catches, you're starting to trust him a little bit. Um, at least I am anyway. I see him catching those balls pretty cleanly. And at first you're like, oh God, a rookie return, man. It's the kiss of death, right? You know he's going to muff a punt. You know he's going to fumble one. At some point it's coming. But the way he's handled them so far through two games, it's honestly better than I imagined it would be. And uh, you go through two weeks, perfectly clean catches over and over. I start to gain confidence in your abilities. And that's the number one thing for a rookie. It's not about taking it to the house and getting huge returns. It's about catching the ball cleanly every time. Once you start getting good at that, you get all the jitters out of the way and you're comfortable playing in an NFL special team unit. Now we can start focusing on, all right, do we have yardage up ahead? We can put our eyes down, see where the guys, the gunners are coming at us, and if we have room for a return. For now, Barrios is doing an all right job by me. Now we're going to get towards the schedule and the Patriots and wrapping this thing up. But before I do that, I do want to read the father time from this week. Father time, again, is the section where my father writes me some sort of uh, game summary or opinion or reaction to something that he's feeling, something that he wants me to share on the podcast now. I get a lot of complaints that he doesn't read these things live. I can't get him to do that. If you can talk to my dad and get him to record these things live, come onto the podcast, anything like that, be my guest. I would love it. In the meantime, all I'm getting is emails at work. And so I'll read these emails until we can get to the next step. So this week's Father Time, written by my father, David Burnham, read by me, is as follows. And he calls it, yes, this one has a title, a rare thing for Dave Burnham, Butter Side Up. Here we go. The Jets got obliterated, as they always do on national TV, and this one was ugly. But here are some redeeming personal stats to consider for the game. Robbie Anderson, 81 yards, caught 4 of 6. Jameson Crowder, 40 yards, 4 of 6. Le'Veon Bell, 21 rushes for 68 yards, 10 for 10 on catches for 61 yards. And he's a hero. 129 total yards for Le'Veon Bell. Luke Falk, 20 for 25 on 198 yards. Some was endgame mop-up, but he threw an 80% completion rate with no interceptions and a 100 passer rating. Going forward, he's never played an NFL snap, never even suited up for a game. Luke Falk is at the Alamo fighting against the odds, and I'm rooting for this guy. Maybe he'll earn his stripes and be Sam's backup for the next 10 years. Looking forward, there's nothing more devastating in sports than losing a starting quarterback. And it won't be getting any better anytime soon when you look at the upcoming schedule. But we can look forward to some exciting wins from the Jets when it starts getting cold. So let's look to Sam's return. Sam is back. Mosley will be back. Herndon will be back. We have the kicking game settled, which created the Buffalo loss. The new offense and new defense has continuity and familiarity. The Jets will be battered and bruised and pissed. And finally, the schedule softens. Jacksonville, Miami, the Giants, Washington, the Raiders, Cincinnati, Miami, all in a row. And finally... Week 17, we get another shot at the Buffalo Bills. Sorry, no Super Bowl for the Jets this year. Probably no playoffs. But there are a bunch of winnable games on the way. Ones to cheer for. End scene. And that's it. And that is uh, a refreshing one. And when I read it, I was just like, this is kind of exactly where my mind was going for this episode as well. Which, again, usually he's a little bit more pessimistic. But I think that the negativity of the the evil fan base that we have, these people that are just constantly putting the Jets down and everything, we got to fire Gase, we got to get new players, everybody's got to go. You get tired of hearing that and you start, like, standing up for it. Like, listen, all right, 
it is bad because I'm also in a bad place. The Jets lose this game and I'm like, shit, this is bad. We're going to be 0-6. This is going to be a really ugly start to the season. I've been waiting all year for this, but I never start panicking and just, we got to fire everybody. We have to think irrationally and just do ridiculous things to try to change stuff now because that's not the way it works. So he took a rational approach to this thing too. And you know what? He tried to find the positives in everything. And you look through this and he's right. The stats, some of the ones I didn't touch on, Robbie Anderson, he did have 81 yards. Cleanup time in the end of the game, sure, a few of them, but he had a really nice catch, toe-tapping on the sideline. Jameson Crowder, he's proving to be a good, worthy target all season. 40 yards, 4 for 6. Like you said, Le'Veon Bell's a hero. Luke Falk is basically at the Alamo. I mean, this guy's fighting against the odds. He's got no opportunity out there. He's got no chance. He never suited up for a game, and you're asking him to come out there and play quarterback, and he's doing an okay job. So these are the things that we get to build on, and Sam Darnold is coming back. He is perfectly healthy. He'll be back. And when he's back, we do play those teams. It's going to get better. I mean, there's stuff to cheer for. The season's not over. We can go 0 for 6 to start. And if we win 8 of those games in there, in that soft part of the schedule, so what? We end 8-8, eight and eight, which is right where most of us pegged us to be, which is on the way to being a playoff team. No, we're not a playoff team this year. I had us going 9-7. and seven and probably missing the playoffs towards the end of the year. So we go 8-8 eight and eight instead. The goal is to build off of last year, be a better team this year than we were last year, figure out what holes they are that are causing us to lose. Hopefully it's supposed to be less holes than we had the previous year. Fill some more of those holes, specifically with the draft. Joe Douglas's first draft, fill some of those up. Another good free agency, smart roster moves. Then attack the next season. Be a little bit better. Have less holes. Fill those. I mean, it's a process. And eventually you get to the playoffs. Maybe not this year. Hopefully next year. Just being in the playoffs gives you a chance to win the Super Bowl. We've gotten there as a wild card a bunch of times. Made to the AFC Championship game. Almost not making it there, but we were close. The Giants have won a Super Bowl as a wild card team. You just have to make it to the playoffs. And we're working towards getting there. Once we get there... And we're used to being there. We've played playoff games, meaningful games and stuff. This whole team's going to take a new identity. And Sam Darnold's going to morph into the superhuman that he's going to be. Everything is going to be coming, but it takes time. And it's a really ugly part of the schedule right now. Talking about the schedule, like I mentioned, we've got the Patriots coming. And then a bye. Thank goodness. Now we can rest up and prepare for Eagles, Dallas, Patriots. I mean, that's likely four losses there. You're looking at that right now. You're saying the Patriots, we're going to lose to twice. We know that. Eagles and Dallas, probably going to lose both those games too. So we're 0-6, most likely. Could we have beat the Browns fully healthy? Yeah, I think we could have. Could we have beat the Bills? Yeah, I think we could have. I know we could have. This whole thing could have been a little different. We could have been close. You know, we're not that far away. It isn't chaos time, but it looks that way. That's what it looks like when you have your third quarterback playing. That's what it looks like when Luke Falk is on the field. In his first time suiting up ever, and he's called to action. Say, okay, go on Monday Night Football and try to beat this team when you're already losing. Yeah, it looks really, really ugly. We had injuries in this game. We lost Jordan Jenkins. He's week to week right now. We lost Demarius Thomas. He's week to week right now. We went into this game without Quinn and Williams. Not sure the timetable for him. CJ Mosley, he's day to day now. We just found out this last week that Quincy Noon was not going to play again for the year. We still don't have Herndon back. Simeon, he's done for the year. Sam Darnold, unknown. Trumaine Johnson, he's healthy, but MIA. Right? I mean, we know where he is, but not on the field. He's sitting on the sideline. 
And so there are a lot of things that the Jets have to work through, a lot of things that we have to overcome, and these aren't the games to do it. I mean, I hate the schedule for this because if it was set up differently, if it was like the Giants right now and then playing the Bengals and a couple other easy teams early on and we could get this record to like 2-2, two and two, people would be saying, oh my gosh, we're actually still in this thing. Keep your head up. But because of the way the schedule is situated and we have to play all these stronger teams early in the season, it just makes it look like, oh, we're never going to be able to overcome it because we're only looking ahead. We're like, oh, Patriots next, and then we got the Cowboys and the Eagles and Patriots again. I mean, this is never going to get any better. And Sam Darnold's out. But it's like there is that soft part of the schedule. It's going to go Jacksonville, Dolphins, Giants, Redskins, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins. I mean, that's that's the time where you really capitalize. That's when Sam Darnold comes out here with all of his weapons, and it's like, all right, let's see what we can do. That's when we can judge Adam Gase. That's when we can judge the offense, Sam Darnold, the receivers that we have, the offensive line. But right now, early in the season with this new team, a bunch of backups against tough, tough opponents, this isn't the time to evaluate and start calling for people's heads. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, it'll, it'll get worse. I hope that this fan base doesn't destroy this team because uh, we're not really giving them a chance to breathe. We're just demanding, you know, why is it so ugly? Why is Adam Case not doing good play calling? I don't know, because the third-string quarterbacks looked at the playbook for probably five hours. I mean, he was on the practice squad a couple weeks ago. They weren't giving him the entire playbook. He could get picked up by another team instantly. So keep your expectations low, but understand that they will be higher later. There will be points this year where the Jets are playing fun games, where we're winning games, where we're looking good, where we're beating up on opponents. I promise you there will be points this year when that's happening. And the season won't be lost. You know, it'll be a very tough effort. It'll be like we're going to have to win a lot of games in a row. But it's not going to be all for naught. We're going to do everything that we can. We're going to make this team as strong as we can. The Patriots, with Luke Falk, are not the team to do that against. I mean, you want to talk a prediction, a score prediction for this game. You know, we scored three points against the Browns. Luke Falk, second game, I'll give us anywhere six points to ten points. Maybe some freak play here and there. But the Patriots have been dominating everything. They dominated the Steelers. They dominated the Dolphins. I mean, they could easily put up 35 to 40 points to our 6 or 10. I mean, let's let's hope it's closer than that. Let's call it a win if we lose by 15. But we're not. We're going to be like, oh my God, we lost this game too. How come Gase isn't doing tricky play calls and really confusing Bill Belichick with Luke Falk? It's just going to be like, really? Do you understand the NFL at all? Give him a chance here. Let's just try to get through these weeks as best we can. So yeah, I don't know, it's just, uh, just something that's been pissing me off recently. It's just the fan base and the negativity, and it's like, yeah, the, the chips are stacked against you. I don't like to make excuses either, but there are certain excuses like mono that come out of nowhere. You know, there's nobody to blame, except for maybe whatever beautiful angel Sam Darnold was sharing his seltzer with. Other than that, it's like, alright, so he can't play, he's sick. It's not like he's injured and going to come back worse. So here's to waiting for that time, and doing it with as much grace as possible, not embarrassing ourselves and making sure that this fan base does not derail the entire franchise. Let's not make Jamal Adams want to leave. Let's give him a break for a little bit. Let's give the whole team a break as we try to get our players back on the field. Let's give Adam Gase a break as he tries to figure out how the heck he's going to do it. Games are going to be ugly, but we're Jets fans. We're used to it. We've done this before. Let's not act like it's anything new. We've never been in this terrible situation before. We've done this plenty of times. The older a fan you are, the more you've done it. I mean, I'm probably lucky to have been a fan for the last 20 years because that's probably some of the best years of Jets history. And that's all I got for this podcast today. 
As always, if you like the episode, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. I will be back next week, hopefully putting a positive spin on whatever outcome we have against the New England Patriots. Let's try to do it. Luke Falk, it's Falk time, baby. I am a New York Jets fan keeping hope, and so can you. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 